follow that sermon he just did right there. So we're just going to pray and everybody can leave. No, I'm kidding. Um, hey, let me say this before we get going. It's great to be back and great to see all of you. And uh, it, your story, what God has done in and through you is absolutely remarkable. And I, I would just say this, and you know this, but uh, it is remarkable the sacrifice of the people here. But it is also remarkable when you see the humble, passionate servant leadership that Paul and Melody have demonstrated here and the way they have sacrificed for this church for all those years. Yeah. So thank you. All right, cut. He's not that good. Cut that off. Cut that. That's good enough. Good enough. He's left me with 24 minutes. That's what I've got. So if you tell the people in my church I can speak in 24 minutes, I'm never coming back. Don't let them know. All right. Here we go. So what I want to do today is I want to circle back to something that Paul talked about last week when he kicked off this follow series because he did a terrible job with it. So I thought I'd fix it, okay? No, there was an idea that he introduced to you that's a really, really powerful idea. And we're going to talk about today, and honestly, we're, you're going to spend the next few weeks talking about it throughout this series, and it's going to be so crucial to, for you to be a part of this series because it's going to set the stage for what happens, I believe, in your life, what God does in and through you over the course of the next year, both individually and as a church. The idea that Paul introduced was simply this, the salvation is free and it costs me nothing. Following Jesus costs me something. This is the dilemma. This is the tension, isn't it? If you're telling me that salvation is free, okay, you're telling me that I can have all of my sins forgiven and I don't have to do anything to earn that. You're telling me I can be a part of God's family and it's free even though I don't deserve it. You're telling me I can have a relationship with my heavenly father. Let's just assume we all believe there's a God. So you're telling me I can have a relationship with him and it's personal and it's free. That's what grace is. It's just a gift. Oh my goodness. Well, sign me up for that. I'm all in. But here's where the tension comes. But then you're telling me that if I start following Jesus, it's going to cost me something. Well, I'm not sure I'm into that. I'm not sure I want to sign up for that part. I, I'm not sure I want God messing around with all the different areas of my life. Give me the forgiveness. I want to be a part of his family. I want to know my eternity's taken care of. But wait a minute. Now, God, you start telling me what I should do with my money. I, I don't really want you there. You start telling me I should stay in this marriage and fight for it. I, that's not really what I want to do. You, you start talking to me about how I should date and who I should date and start, you know, messing around with those areas. Okay, I, I don't know. You, you start messing with my sense of security or my comfort. Well, all of a sudden that creates a little bit of tension, doesn't it? Salvation is free. It costs me nothing. I'm all in. Wait a minute, there's this other part. Following Jesus, it'll cost us something. You tell me there's a sacrifice required. That's what creates the tension for all of us. At least for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we know exactly what this feels like. We've all been there. It's like there's a battle going on. There's this voice inside of us going, okay, I know I should because it's still a small voice of God saying, you should go there. You should do that. You should give that. You should, you should serve in that way. You should sacrifice there. You should trust me with that. You should walk away from that. You should forgive them. You hear this voice inside of you and you feel like, I should, I should, but. And this is where we all live. But I'm afraid. You know what this feels like. I know what this feels like, but I'm afraid. I'm afraid if I do what God is asking me to do, that things won't turn out better for me. I'm afraid God won't come through for me. I'm afraid things won't work out the way he says they'll work out. I'm afraid he won't provide for me what... 
I'm going to need. I'm afraid things will get worse, not better. And this is really what it boils down to. I am afraid that if I do what God wants me to do and I really follow him fully, I'm afraid he's going to ask for whatever that thing is that I value and want most in life. And I don't know what this thing is for you. It's different for all of us. But there's a fear in all of us that if I really follow Jesus fully, well, he's going to ask for this thing. He, he's going to ask for the money. He's going to ask for the sense of security. He's going to ask for the safety. He's going to ask for the, my dreams and my future that I've got planned out. And I, I, I want God involved making all of those things come true. I don't want God involved messing with any of that. I'd rather God just come along and give me everything that I need and make sure my life runs pretty smooth. But that's not the way it works, is it? And so for all of us, there's this tension of, oh my goodness, what if he asked for what if he wants, what if it costs me the thing that I want and I value most? And so all of us who are followers of Jesus get to a point where we ask a question. It's not a question that most of us will admit asking because it sounds terrible, but let's just be honest. We have all asked this more than once. When we feel like God's tapping on our heart, when we feel like God's nudging us in a direction, when we begin to feel like following Jesus is going to cost us something, we have all gotten to the point where we have asked ourselves, well, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it to give up potentially all of these things that I don't want to give up? Or is there a way that I can just pick and choose the areas where I want to follow God and I can just fool everybody that I'm fully following when I'm really not? And the reality is you can probably fool most of the people around you. You can pick and choose the parts you like and ignore all the parts you don't. And most people won't know. But you'll know. And your heavenly father will know. And it will impact your relationship with him. And it will impact your future. And it will impact your faith. And it will impact your family and all those that are closest to you in some way. So, if you've ever felt that tension, you shouldn't be embarrassed by that. I, I think it's normal. I think you should be feeling that if you're following Jesus. You shouldn't be embarrassed by it, but we also need to know how to work through it. And that's what we're going to talk about for a few minutes today. There's this story that Luke tells us of a guy who was a, you're going to be familiar with him, most of you, but he was a very ordinary guy at the time. There was nothing special about him. But he found himself at this crossroads, at this intersection we all find ourselves at, where Jesus is challenging him to sacrifice something to follow. And he's wondering, is it worth it to do it? And there's some extraordinary insights in this story for all of us about what you and I can do when we find ourselves feeling and wrestling through that tension. So I just want to jump into the story, and at the end, there's going to be a single insight that I want to point out to you that hopefully is going to be helpful to you all. And then we'll talk about how this applies at the end. So here's how the story goes. Luke tells us, that one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's another name for the Sea of Galilee. Maybe you've heard of that. The people were crowding around him and they were listening to the word of God. So there's a picture of this. Jesus is actually outside of Capernaum, a town called Capernaum. They're on the beaches of the Sea of Galilee. And he begins to teach and the crowd starts growing and growing and growing. It gets so big that people in the back are hollering, hey, we can't hear you. What are you saying? Speak up. And Jesus realizes, okay, I've got to find a way to get elevated over this crowd so my voice can carry, so everybody can hear. He begins to look around. He looks down the beach one way and he looks down the beach the other. And Luke tells us here's what he saw. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Now, if you're not familiar with the routine of a first century fisherman, this was very normal. 
These fishermen back in those days would fish with large nets. They would throw them off the side of the boat. They would drag them through the water. They'd catch whatever was in the water. They'd pull them into the boats. They'd separate all the trash from all the good fish or the bad fish, you know, and they'd keep the good fish and go sell them at market and turn around and do it the next day. And so because this is the way they had to fish, they fished at night. Water's cooler, fish are closer to the surface. Was no point in fishing during the day. It's hotter, the sun's blazing, the water heats up, the fish go deeper into the water, you can't catch as many. So these men, however many there were, they've been up all night long fishing, and now they've come in in the morning, their boats are there on the edge of the shore, they're cleaning up their nets, they're getting everything ready, basically they're working a night shift, okay? And they're, they're wrapping up their day, getting everything in place for when they come back the next night. They're getting ready to go home, catch them some sleep, come back and do it all over again. And they see and they hear as they're cleaning up their nets, they see and hear Jesus with this crowd. No doubt they had to have noticed. And maybe they're listening to him, paying attention. Maybe they're just going on about their business, ready to get home as quick as they can. But whether they notice Jesus or not, he notices them and he sees they have a solution to my problem. And so Luke tells us, they got into one of the boats, Jesus did, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from the shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Now, you know Simon by another name. Anybody know what that is? Hey, there's a, yeah, the front row is always VBS veterans. I can always count on them. That's right. I'm sure everybody at the other camps is new. So anyway, yeah, it's Peter, right? It's Peter. But here's what I want you to know. You, you know about Peter. You know, oh my goodness, there's a cathedral named after Peter. And Peter's known for this. And he wrote books in the New Testament. I mean, we know all of that stuff. But at this moment in time, Peter's not famous. There's nothing extraordinary about him. He is an ordinary, everyday, hardworking, blue-collar fisherman. He's just like you and me. But Jesus is about to invite him to do something that's going to put him right at this intersection where he has to wrestle through the tension of, is it worth it to follow? Is it worth it to pay the cost? So here's what happens. When Jesus had finished speaking, when he'd finished teaching all the people, he looks at Peter and he says to him, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch, which was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. No fishermen are out fishing during the day. They know they're not going to catch anything. And this, for Peter, is going to cost him something if he does it. You got to believe Peter's sitting there thinking, what do you know? I mean, you're an extraordinary teacher. You're a lousy fisherman. Just stay in your lane, Jesus, you know. You do the teaching. I won't try to teach. I'll do the fishing. Don't tell me how to fish, you know. Because Peter's thinking to himself, if I appease him and do this, I know I'm not catching anything, but if I throw my nets back in, that means I got to turn around and clean everything up and pack everything away again. And it's either going to cost me sleep today or it's going to cost me sleeping tonight and not fishing tonight. Either way, it's going to cost me. And in a land and in a world where they literally prayed, give us this day our daily bread to lose a day's income was pretty costly to them. Not only that, it's going to cost Peter his reputation because no doubt there are going to be other fishermen watching him going, what is Peter doing? So he's sitting in the middle of a, a crossroads, if you will. What do I do? Clearly, he's an extraordinary teacher. Look at this crowd. But what in the world does he know about fishing? Now he's trying to tell me to do something that makes no sense whatsoever. And so Peter is sitting there in the boat asking the question we have all asked. Well, is it worth it? 
And so what he does next, I love this. What he does next is so classic. All of us have done it. He looks back at Jesus and he says this. Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. This was Peter's way of saying, Jesus, I appreciate your suggestion, but I don't think you have all the information. That is a terrible idea. And let me tell you why. And he begins to explain to Jesus, okay, it'd be dumb to fish in the day at any point. But it's really dumb to fish in the day because we fished all night long and we didn't catch a thing all night long when fishing is best. So there's no way we're going to catch anything when fishing is worse. Now, what I love about this is you've done this and so have I. Have you ever sensed God asking you to do something and you had to inform him of all the reasons why his idea would not work? We've all done it, haven't we? God, you, I think you're telling me you want me to be a consistent giver and give that much. And I'm telling you, you have, let me explain to you my bills. And you know I'm saving for it. And you know we got this going on and this is going to happen. I, there's no way we can do that. God, I know you're telling me I should go talk to them. But do you know what they did to me? And you know what they did to them? And you know what they did to them? And you're trying to get me to forgive them and reconcile this relationship? Are you kidding me? Are you not paying attention to what's going on down here? I mean, we've all done this, haven't we? So Peter's sitting there in the boat doing the exact same thing you and I do. But then he pauses. And I don't know if it was something Jesus had taught that day. I don't know if it was the fact that maybe he'd watched Jesus and observed some things before in the days and weeks before. But something caused Peter to pause at this moment. And to go, you know what? This is a terrible idea. You know what? This will never work. You know what? This makes no sense. You know what? This is going to cost me too much. But. But maybe. There's something about him that's different and I should pay attention. Maybe there's something about him. That I should trust enough to do it anyway. So this is extraordinary to me because right in the middle of this, Peter hits pause and he says some of the most powerful words anyone can say to God. He says, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. This makes no sense, Jesus. I can't figure this out. But because you say so. In other words, I'm not doing this for any reason other than the fact that I think there's something different about you. And I'll never know unless I do what you ask me to do. So this may cost me and this may not be worth it. But this is the only way to find out whether there's something special about you or not. So because you say so, I'm not doing it because all the things add up. I'm not doing it because it makes sense. I'm not doing it because when I put it on paper and weigh the pros and cons, it comes out I should. I'm just doing it because of you. And I'm going to trust you. Because you say so, I will let down the nets. At this moment, Peter's little bitty faith intersected with God's great big faithfulness. And something remarkable happened. Peter began to discover the same thing you and I discover when we reach a moment that we have enough faith to go, I don't think it's worth it. 
but because you say so, I'm going to obey. Because you say so, I'm going to sacrifice. Because you say so, I'm going to follow. For Peter, here's what he discovered. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break, which was unusual for them. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. Now they've got both boats dirty. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And the fishermen did a fishing dance on their boats. They were so excited. Can you imagine? Story continues. When Simon Peter, this is what's so odd. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. What an odd response. Wouldn't you think they'd be celebrating? Not Peter. Why in the world would Peter respond that way? Because in this moment, his little bitty faith had intersected with God's great big faithfulness and God had become personal to him in a way he had never been before. And Peter realized in that moment, whoa, this is way bigger than these fish. There's something different about him. In that moment, Peter realized that Jesus was bigger than he thought he was. That God was greater than he ever imagined. And he realized, I, I shouldn't even be in this boat with you, Jesus. I'm in the boat with God. The story continues. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners who were in the other boat. And then Jesus said to Simon, I love this. Jesus says to Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. To which they all went, we don't even know what that means. What? But they didn't care. Because when you experience God do something only God can do and he becomes so personal to you, you just go with whatever he says. And so Luke tells us they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. To which we would all go, whoa, whoa, whoa wait just a minute. Hit pause. Peter, Peter, Peter. What about the fish? You just became rich. Are you kidding me? Why don't we go sell the fish and then follow? Get that money in the bank. You know, you and Mrs. Peter have been wanting to go on that Mediterranean cruise all those years. This is your moment to go home and be a hero. Don't walk away. You know what I think Peter would have told us if we'd have been there? I think Peter would have looked at us and he'd have said, no, no, no. You don't understand. The fish don't matter to me anymore. Why? Because you don't care about taking care of your family? No, 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 it's not that. The fish don't matter to me anymore because I just experienced something and someone way bigger than some nets full of fish. My little bitty faith just intersected with God's great big faithfulness, and he just became personal to me in a way that I've never known. I discovered that he knows who I am in a way I never knew. So the same God who can give me nets of fish so big it nearly sinks our boat can provide for me whenever he wants. I'm more interested in following him than I am those fish. You see, in that moment, Peter discovered something. He had an insight that if only you and I could understand this, it would change everything about how we follow Jesus. Here's what Peter understood. That the issue is never the value of what you hold in your hand. It's whether you trust your heavenly father. Peter realized in that moment, oh my goodness, all the things that I was worried about and it was going to cost me in the sacrifice and I don't think it's worth it. He realized in that moment, no, 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 the issue was never this. It was whether I trusted Jesus. 
Can I say to you, the issue is never the value of that thing you hold in your hand you don't want to give up. The money, the security, the future dreams, the comfort you have in your life. I got everything set in my life just right. I don't want God messing with it. The willingness to forgive. Whatever that thing is for you, the issue is never the value, the thing you're holding in your hand going, I can't let go of that. I can't let go of that. No, 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 God, you can't mess with that. It's never this. It's just whether you trust your heavenly father or not, enough to open up your hand. See, God's not concerned. He doesn't need whatever that thing is that you're gripping so tightly to. You know what God wants? Not that. He wants your heart. He wants your trust. Why does he care so much about your trust? Because trust is the foundation for every healthy relationship, including your relationship with your heavenly father. Trust is one of the deepest expressions of love. That's what he wants from you. He knows your relationship with him can't be what he wants it to be unless you trust him. And the only way to express that trust is to let go. It's also why God will never pry your fingers away from whatever that thing is you're holding on to. He wants you to choose to trust him. He could force you, but that doesn't accomplish anything. So, my question to you is this. What is the thing that you're holding so tightly to? What is the thing? And I bet for most of you, you know exactly what it is because it came to mind as we were talking about this and it's made you uncomfortable and internally you're feeling that tension, aren't you? Oh my gosh, I don't want to let go of that. No, 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 don't make it about that. And we've all been there. What's that thing for you? That God keeps saying, will you do it? And you keep going, I'm not making that commitment. That'll require too much time. I'm not making that commitment. That'll mess with my plans. I'm not taking that step, God. I'm not sure that'll turn out in my best interest. What is that thing? And will you open your hand? Will you let go? And will you follow? Now, I have some good news for you. When you do, when you follow Jesus, he takes full responsibility for the outcome of your journey. So if you trust, you'll learn just what Peter did. Your little bitty faith and God's great big faithfulness will intersect and he will become personal to you and you will know him in a way you have never known him before. But I'm telling you, listen, you cannot learn this coming week after week and listening to Paul or somebody like me speak. And you cannot learn this waking up every morning and reading your Bible and praying. You only learn this when you obey. You only learn this when you follow. You only learn this when you trust. So, I'll say it again. Salvation is free. Cost me nothing. It's absolutely true. Following Jesus will cost me something. But refusing to follow Jesus will cost you even more. You have no idea what hangs in the balance of your decision to trust your heavenly father or not. Peter had no idea that day what hung in the balance of his decision 
to throw some nets over the side of a boat when it made no sense. You have no idea. You may think it's just me and it's just a little thing and it won't matter. I'm telling you, you have no idea what hangs in the balance. You have no idea who hangs in the balance. You have no idea the impact that your one act of trust could have on your family, on your future, on your faith. And if you don't trust, you'll never know what God could and would have done in and through you if you'd have just lived with an open hand. Now, let me say this and I'll wrap up. What is true for you individually is also true for you as churches. As a church, listen, you have no idea what hangs in the balance of your decision. And today you're celebrating the extraordinary sacrifice of people who have come before you to make this possible. But listen to me. You have exponential opportunity in front of you as a church. You do. You have opportunity to let God use you to impact thousands and thousands of people and inspire them to follow Jesus all throughout this region. But new opportunities require new sacrifices. Yesterday's sacrifices never make tomorrow's opportunities come true. Yesterday's sacrifices got you where you are today. But it will take you individually and collectively living with open hands saying, I'm going to follow Jesus even when it costs me something. You're going to have to be willing to make new commitments and new sacrifices to experience what God has for you in the future. So will you live life trusting? Will you let your little bitty faith intersect with God's great big faithfulness? And then watch what he does on your behalf. Let me pray for us. Father, for all of us who wrestle with this and we feel this tension and we're arguing and debating in our minds right now saying, nope, I'm not going to do it and that God wouldn't want me to and I just don't think it makes sense. Whatever that thing is that we're holding on to so tightly, would you help us to have the courage to open our hands and to trust you with it? Because on the other side of that sacrifice and trust is something we least expect. It is freedom. It is a relationship with you that is so personal that it changes us in ways that last a lifetime. So whatever that thing is for us, help us to have the courage to open our hands and to sacrifice, to give, to trust. And let our little bitty faith intersect with your great big faithfulness so that we can know you in ways we have not before. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much for being with us. We'll see you next week for part three of Follow. You're dismissed.